Well, this morning we're going to be uh, continuing our series working through the, the book of Romans, and we're in Romans 5 this morning. You can start turning there if you'd like already. That would be great. But while you're doing that, just wanted to give you a little Hollywood update. You don't hear that very often in church, right? I heard on Air One Radio this week that George Clooney and his new wife, Amal, just adopted a rescue dog named Millie. Isn't that exciting news? Really, really cute there. That's, that's Millie there in the picture. The, I was reading about it, a little article about it was saying that Millie had been found by the rescue group, the, the adoption thing. They had found Millie in an alley where Millie was looking for food, was lost, trying to find its next meal, gets brought into the, the, to the center of the adoption agency. And then George Clooney and wife show up and adopt this dog, and the person on Air One was making this point saying, things are about to drastically change for Millie, right? Like, one might even say Millie has hit the jackpot, if you will, of, of adopted dogs, probably no longer scavenging for food in the Clooney household, but I was thinking about that. I was like, you know what, isn't that our text here this morning? Now, I'm not calling anyone here a dog, but, but, but isn't that our text this morning? We've been adopted, if we've embraced Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, into a family, the family of God, and things are going to look a lot different in our lives. One might even say we've hit the jackpot. And so this morning, I'm going to be pointing to the text that Paul wants to make sure that we're all clear on how good things are when you're adopted, what family life is going to look like in this family? I, I would say after a few heavy texts in Romans, it's nice to get to some, some good news. This is a picture of what life in the family looks like. Let me pray for us as we dive in. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this text and the fact that you've been honest with us prior to this about our reality independent of you, but you also like to share good news with us. This morning, I thank you for how you unpack all the things that are a part, or many of the things that are a part of being in the family of God. I pray that you'd speak to each one of us, that you'd meet us exactly where we're at here this morning, that you'd be great and I'd be small. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, in chapter 5, we're just going through the first 11 verses there this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we'd encourage you to use one from the chair, chair in front of you. Uh, and uh, so we're starting in verse 1, and the first thing we see as being part of the family is peace, the peace that we have. Peace at last, I titled that section, the first verse. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Could really spend the morning unpacking just that simple verse, so a lot's going on there. The first thing you notice, it says, we... Who is he talking to? Paul is speaking to those who have let go of their rebellion against God and accepted the peace treaty offered through Jesus Christ. So he's talking to those of us, basically, that have accepted Jesus Christ as the, the forgiver and redeemer of our life. So that's the, the, what he's first identifying. And he says that since we've been justified, what does the word justified? Sometimes in church world we use uh, really big uh, words that you're like, well, what's he talking about? But justified is talking about, I like how Tony Evans puts it, 
that were seen just as if I hadn't sinned. Justified. Just as if I hadn't sinned. That's not, that's not something that's in the works. It's not a progress, something in progress or pending. That's the way we're seen before God. We've been made right with Him because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That's really good news for us. So the result of that, and remember that's simply access through faith, not through works. Access through faith. The result of this reality, what does it say? say since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the outcome, if you will, or result is peace. Question I have for that section is whether or not this, this peace is a, is a feeling or is it the condition that we're in? And I would propose that it's a little bit of both. First, the condition that we're in, if you think about it, that the idea that the condition is that it doesn't say that we have the peace of God. It says we have peace with God. That, that insinuates something. That insinuates that prior to that, that we were enemies, that there wasn't peace with God. It talks about it later in verse 10 that we are considered enemies of God, and because of God's work through his son on the cross, we now have peace. We're no longer at odds with creator God. So positionally, that's a big deal, but it doesn't just, it's, it's not just a position. It also ripples into our feelings. I, I, I've heard it said before that, that feelings make a lousy engine, but a wonderful caboose, uh, in the train of our, our life, this idea that you don't want to be guided by it, but it's, it's fun when it actually sinks in. The peace that's to come for us and our feelings is, is the reality that, wait, wait a second, I've, there's been peace that's been made with God, so now I have the peace of God. So the outcome of the reality of peace with God is we start to experience peace in our life. It is a feeling. It's like a, a weight off of our back that, wait a second, I'm not carrying all the weight of my mistakes and my sin. All of a sudden, God, God's taken that. He's absorbed that. He's taken that on, the, on his own son on our behalf. So that changes the way we feel. Some of us, though, if we're honest, and we're here this morning, if we're honest, right? If we're honest, we'd say, I don't really necessarily feel that peace, though. I don't, I don't feel it on a day-to-day -day basis, but here's the truth. Peace has been downloaded into our account, but whether or not we choose to withdraw it from it is up to us. We have it there. Too often Christians are praying for things that God's already given us. You understand what I'm saying? It's there, we have access to it, but it's up to us to choose to withdraw from it. I think too many people are walking around with a, a gloomy face and they're like, man, you need to take a withdrawal from the, the peace bucket, you know? Like that's a, a serious thing. I wanna show you a, a picture of a, a woman. Her name is Hetty Green. She lived from 1834 to 1916. She looks like she's got a lot of joy, doesn't she? And uh, th this woman, Hetty, I don't, has anyone ever heard of Hetty Green before? There you go, One, a couple people. Hetty Green, this was interesting, living in that time period, was the most wealthy woman on the planet, 1834 to 1916. She amassed a wealth of over, some even think as much as 200, but the estimates say at least $100 million dollars. Can you imagine that in that time period? A hundred million dollars, that'd be equivalent to 2.8 billion in today's dollars. 
So she amassed all this, but what she was most known for wasn't just the wealth that she had, was how incredibly miserly she was. She was the tightest penny pincher you've ever met. I was reading a little bit about her. Said that, that even with that net worth, she was so cheap that she never used heat or hot water. She wore the same black dress until it wore out. When she was washing that black dress, she would only wash the seams in order to save on soap. Isn't that crazy? $2.8 billion net worth. That's how she lived. In fact, the story gets a little bit sad when I was reading about her son, who when he broke his leg, she rushed around the entire city looking for a free clinic, didn't get him appropriate care, where then they eventually had to, had to amputate her son's leg because of her cheapness. I was thinking about, I know everybody's like, man, that's terrible. It was, it was 100 years ago, it's okay. But, but, but here, think about that. I was thinking about that in relationship to us with the peace that God offers to us. It's there in the account. There's a $2.8 billion worth of peace there. In our, I'm just making that up. But, but in our account, it's fully accessible. But the question is whether or not we withdraw from it. Or do we go on with a grumpy face? Do we go on with a judgmental spirit? How do, uh, the question, how do we want to be seen? Do you want our, our, our neighbors to say like, man, they're just exuding peace and grace. When I'm going through a trial, that's the, that's the first person I want to go to. Or are we the person that the world avoids? Here, he's reminding us of the reality that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's one important factor of being in the family. Another one we see in verse 2 is open access to dad. It says this, it says, through him, Jesus Christ, we have also obtained access by faith, remember that's the pathway, into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I think it's neat those two words, obtained access. The idea of a a new relationship. Things have changed drastically with our dad, with our father. That relationship, and some of us can look at our own relationship with our dad or our parents and be like, man, that that wasn't the best. This is a different picture. This This is a picture of access to the creator God who loves you with an infinite love. That's what he's saying. You now have access directly to God. This was really, if, if you're familiar with the audience, this was, this was unthinkable for a Jewish man or woman. They, they hear, what do you mean access to God? Like we, we, all we've known in our history is, is separation from God. But you think of even the, in, in the temple, is, I, I was doing a little reading on this, in the, the, the temple, even within the temple, the high priest was only allowed to go in the, the Holy of Holies once a year to atone for sin. And they weren't even sure if him going into just the shadow of God's presence was going to survive that. In fact, I was, I was reading, and one of the things they did as precautionary practical things they put little bells around the bottom of the high priest robes so they would know if he was acceptable if, it, if his if his offering was acceptable for God if the bells were still jingling you're like all right we're good and but but if not you're like oh man it's getting kind of quiet in there that's that's bad news 
Some, some even say or believe in, in uh, Jewish history is that they would even tie a, a, a rope around his ankle so that if he, if he wasn't acceptable before God, he could get pulled out so they didn't have to try to go in there themselves. So this God, this perfect and holy and blameless God, the idea of us having access to him, that should blow our minds. I know for the Jewish reader, I'm sure they were like, Really? And then what does it say that you're able to what? What's the text say? Stand. Are you serious? Maybe I could understand getting in there and getting as low as possible and bowing before him. What do you mean? A relationship where I can stand before this perfect, awesome God because of why? The work that Jesus Christ had done on the cross. Even in, in Jesus' day, in the temple, they had a, a, a veil that separated the, the common uh, a Jewish person from going into the Holy of Holies. It was a 60-foot tall tur- uh, curtain, and it was about four inches thick, and who remembers after Jesus died on the cross what happened to that curtain? Matthew 27, 51 tells the account of that, that, that curtain being ripped from the top to the bottom. No longer are we separated from God because of our sin. All of a sudden, there's access because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So constantly, we are in a state of constant forgiveness. The innocent verdict can't be overturned. That's pretty awesome news and provides access with us to a perfect God. Now, some of that is felt immediately. Some of that is even what we experience in our Christian life. We have the ability to talk with him, interact with him. He, he downloads things through his Holy Spirit to us. He gives us nudges. He, we, we, we have a relationship potential, but what does Scripture say about that? But right now we see through a glass dimly, but then we're going to see him face to face. So we, we get a little picture of what that access looks like, but the incredible thing, and it even refers to it here, is that it says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In other words, things are going to only get better. The access is only going to increase as we're, we're uh, brought into his presence. In, in scripture, it points to this in Philippians 3.20. says this, But our citizenship, those of us who have embraced Christ, is in heaven. And from it we, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Anybody ready to trade in their current body for a new one? The, the, uh, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So, the glorification of us, it starts now, it starts with that access, but the incredible thing, and that's the hope that it talks about, is man, we have some amazing days ahead. I like the statement of thinking of, these are the, this is the worst it's ever going to get for us. This is as bad as it's ever going to get. We have amazing days ahead. So that, pointing out the access that we have. But in the meantime, while we're waiting for those days, verse 3, we're going to see that even the bad is good. Even the bad is good. What does it say in verse 3? Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Some see all the downturns of life as abandonment or judgment. For honest, a lot of times that's, that's the way we see the bad things that happen in life. 
But what if, what if the things that happen that are kind of crummy in our life are part of God's plan for transformation? What if they're part of God's wanting to change us and shape us and molding us into his likeness? In fact, the the text points to this progression. We'll see in a moment. But I was thinking about that. I don't know if there's any other coffee drinkers here in the room, anybody that's part of their life. I'm not a coffee drinker. I don't partake in the Christian drug of choice, but, uh, but, but my wife loves coffee. In fact, uh, she, I mean, she really appreciates a good Starbucks, but what I've learned over the years from observing her, not just any coffee will do. Like, you can't, you can't bust out the instant coffee. Any, any uh, coffee drinkers like that, too? You kind of, over time, I've noticed, become a little bit more of a coffee snob one might say there's certain coffees that some people that really enjoy coffee love what's called and i said it wrong the last service espresso right i said espresso i don't know and uh espresso and the thing that makes espresso am i getting that right the thing that makes espresso especially good and how someone is able to make espresso is it comes from heat and a lot of pressure comes from heat and a lot of pressure and really that parallel to our life isn't that real similar that you know what we're not looking in the christian life and following christ we're not looking for for instant transformation it's not an instant thing otherwise you're like you start to question it you're like i don't know if that's for real that's not uh, that's not necessarily uh, hasn't been proven by what the test of time says true transformation comes from heat and pressure. Isn't that true for us ourselves? We grow and we're shaped as we're squeezed a little bit tighter and tighter. We're formed by our circumstances and shaped by them. What's the text point to as the progression? It talks about endurance leading to character, character leading to hope. I'm going to look at, just break that down for a couple of minutes. The first word there, endurance, it's an important word when you're dealing with trials. I loved it when I was under James McDonald back at Harvest in Chicago. He taught what the, the Greek meaning of that word is. The Greek word is this. We'll put it on the screen there. Hypomene. Hypomene. Say that together. Hypomene. Nice. You just learned a new word this, mor- this morning. It's basically a Greek word broken into two parts. The first word, hupo, means under, and the word the, the, the second part, moni, moni, means remain. So combined, the idea is this, is to remain under, to remain under. I think that's a, the, the picture of that is really a, a beautiful picture of what God calls us to. He calls us to remain under some of the circumstances, some of the things of this world because it's part of the shaping process. Jeremy, I bugged before this. I'm going to invite you to come up uh, real quick. This is Jeremy. He's in our high school ministry, serves a lot in the church, pretty cool guy. And we're going to do this. Can you hold that for me for one second? So, Jeremy, I'm going to represent trials in your life. You're just going to be a good Christian young man, all right? And so this, you picture this as we start to have trials pushing uh, down on you. He's not really phased much by this. Thanks, Jeremy. The idea that he was supposed to point out is what you usually try to do is when you're under the trials, are you okay, buddy? Yeah. 
the, uh, when you're under the trials, the, the natural response is what? To try to get out from under the trial, right? Like that, if we're honest with ourselves, our first inclination is like, man, when trial comes, I want to do everything within my power to get out from under it. That, that's the natural response. But the question is, based on this text, what if that's part, that's part of God's cause in our life? What if by trying to pull from being under it, we're cutting the process short and not getting the result that God wants to see in our lives? What if we're restricting what God wants to do in us because we're too quickly trying to get out from under the trial that we're facing? Trials, I like this quote, trial is the funnel with which every virtue flows. Trial is the funnel with which every virtue flows. What do we do instead, though, of remaining under? What are the natural things? I'd, I'd propose one of the natural things is we, we're real good about complaining about our circumstances, right? Like that's, I, I think about how many dialogues or interactions in life really come down to, if we're honest with ourselves, they're just made up of complaints. We're like, oh man, I can't believe this is going on. This is such a, di-. like the complaint is, is a natural reaction in the flesh to our trials. That's a natural reaction or, you like also to lash out. You don't know what you're, what it's like to go through this. You haven't experienced. Like we can lash out. We can we can become hostile to those around us. Those are other natural responses. Or probably the the most common is this. I'm gonna bail out. I quit. I'm done. I didn't sign up for this. I I, I didn't I didn't do anything to deserve this. I'm out of here. I'm I'm done with this. Things are getting different difficult in, a, in my marriage. I, I quit. I'm done. This church, man, that you, you wouldn't believe the way that usher looked at me. I'm out of here. You know, like the, the, like the, the, things, the, the things that we experience, and really how often by bailing out, we're missing what God wanted to do in and through us. The nail that doesn't remain under the hammer will never reach the goal. The diamond that doesn't remain under the chisel never becomes a precious jewel. The gold that doesn't stay in the fire isn't refined. Think about that. The question is for us, how do we respond to the trials in our life? Will we remain under and experience what's next? Well, what does the text say is next? It brings about, what's the word? It starts with a C. Nice, we can talk here. It's okay. It's character, character. Character is the outcome. Character is the result of the trial, the shaping and forging of who we are, who we're becoming. You know, how, how, how often do you hear somebody say, is like, man, I would not be the person that I am today if I hadn't been through that, if I hadn't gone that, if I hadn't experienced that. The outcome is who we're becoming, who the, the, the complete who we, who we are, even what is going on when people aren't watching. I love that definition of character, who we are behind closed doors. I don't know who said this, but I said, uh, we become one who lives in a manner that they could sell their talking parakeet to the town gossip. Like that, that picture, sell your, your uh, talking parakeet. In other words, the one that sees you most, sees who you are. That's who we are. That's the character that's being shaped when we remain under and see it play itself out in our lives. That's God's goal of transformation 
into his likeness. How many times do we, through this, we see different people that have been through the test and they've, they've, they've proven God's faithfulness and you see them on the other side of it. Even ourselves, as we get older, we start to accumulate those experiences. I was empowered to stare cancer in the face and God sustained me. What a beautiful picture of God's faithfulness. I, I, I went through this, this, this jilting with my, my spouse, or I, I went through this prodigal child, but God sustained me. You think about all the things, the trials we experience. I went through this job loss and this job search, but man, I saw God's faithfulness. I either saw his provision, I saw the church be the church. There's so many things on the other side of it that you can be like, yes. What is the outcome of that? What does it say? So it leads to, after character, hope. Hope. When you start to see God's faithfulness and his fingerprints on your life, you start to be like, as the next trial's coming up, well, it's going to be all right, because God's with me all the way through it. He's proven himself faithful here. He's proven himself faithful here. I, I know he's not going to all of a sudden abandon me. He's, he's been faithful there. Do you see how that progression works in our life? That, that hope all of a sudden, it's not, and I, I want to make sure we understand it. It's nothing weird like saying that we have to get so bizarre that we're like, here comes a trial, yeah! Like, no, it's re, 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 rejoice in the trial. As we're in it, we're rejoicing because we're not alone in it. He's walking through it with us. He's faithful. So, the outcome of that, so the hope, verse 5 describing that hope it says and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us like that term hope doesn't put us to shame we've all been disappointed if we're honest of putting our hope in the wrong things right and we put our our hope in some things that we thought man this is going to be if this ever happens that's going to be awesome you know like even sometimes good things right even think about when we when we put our our hope in a in a spouse when we put our hope in the 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 job the perfect job that we're going to get when we when we finally have kids when we find all these things anything independent of god as our hope let's be honest has potential to disappoint any any amens here on that one we experienced that and seen that in our own lives But the one thing that he's saying, listen, you will never be put to shame for putting your hope in Jesus Christ. You're never going to be like, oh man, I I sure look stupid now. Now in the current situation, we we might be like, yeah, the world kind of thinks we're kind of crazy. But I, I, I always love the story of Noah as it goes with that. Can you imagine him? As he's building this boat, he's kind of putting it together there, and everybody's like, we haven't even seen rain. There's no water anywhere. It's like living in California. Like, uh, like they're, they're there, and they're taunting him. But I, I, I got to think that there's a, a point where, where, where Noah's finally on the boat, and he's there, and he's sitting back on a bale of hay. You got to think there's a little bit of like, see, I put my hope in the right thing put my hope in the right thing. You're never disappointed when we, when we place our hope in Christ. That's what he's saying there, is that, that, that his, fe- his faithfulness is proven. And it's interesting, because it says why we're not put to shame. It says because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. 
What is, what is the, the display of this hope? It says he set up, he came down and, and set up camp inside of us. That's why we have hope because we're not on this, this, in this whole deal alone. My, uh, I've talked about this before from up front, but my, my family really enjoys going to, to Six Flags together. I should say my kids enjoy it. But uh, it's, it's fun uh, seeing it's the, uh, the, the blue-collar Disney. Uh, but uh, so, so we end up uh, going there at the season pass this last year, and uh, we've gone quite a bit. Without fail, as soon as we get there, and we're kind of going through those initial gates, if you've ever been there before, we always rally the kids together, and we say this to them. You guys know the pep talk. All right, guys, make sure we stick together. You can't be wandering off. You can't wander off because, you, because why? You don't want to get lost. Because so, so we stick together, and we always do this. I don't know if you did this at the amusement parks. We always picked a meeting point. If you do get lost, did you do that too? We, we always, if you do get lost, we'll meet back here by Daffy Duck and, or whatever, and, uh, and, and you had this spot that you meet, but I was thinking about that as kind of being an overprotective parent, how often in those days I'm like doing the head count. I'm like, okay, one, two, three, oh, okay. And then you kind of go in, be- in between rides and you kind of, after the lines kind of mer- come out, you're just like, you do the head count again. Okay, one, two, three, okay, we're good. You know, you're constantly doing that kind of as a bit of a overprotective parent somewhat, I guess, but I guess it's not okay to lose one there from what I've been told. <laughs> but, uh, but, but here, if you think about it, in, from God's perspective, being the overprotective parent, did the ultimate. He said, I'm going to come down and live inside of you. Then you won't get out of my sight. Then, then you really can't get away from me. It's kind of like the, if, if you think of the, the parent that goes to the prom dance with their, with their kid. I'm like, he's like the ultimate chaperone. He's with you everywhere you go. And so this isn't just like a casual relationship with a parent. Like, this is an intense relationship. He's like, we're, if we're, we're going to do this, we're in this for real. We're in this for real. Because God's love, and it's awesome to think of that being a display of his love. It's actually the first time uh, in the book of Romans that, God, that God's love is actually mentioned. His love is demonstrated by the Holy Spirit residing in us constantly remind us, I love you, I'll never, never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'm with you constantly. That's what it looks like in the family. Verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have been now, now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? Get a little picture here in this section of this isn't just like I was saying in the last, isn't just a casual love. It's a pretty intense deal. It's a pretty intense deal, uh, intense love that's on display. A couple things I wanted to point out too, actually, in this section. The first one, I didn't catch the first time going through it. Actually, I think a commentary pointed it out in verse 8. I think it's important to, to take pauses in Scripture to notice some things that, that point to clues about who Jesus is. If the death of Jesus demonstrates God's love for us, 
He can't be just any man. Otherwise, how is it a big deal? I sent this guy to die for you? Like, that wouldn't be a big deal. If, if, if Jesus isn't God in the flesh, then how is it a demonstration of God's love, him dying for us? Are you tracking with me there? Like, the point that, that, that he's making that, that I see there is the fact that, whoa, if Jesus' death is a demonstration of God's love, that must mean that Jesus is God. And there's so many clues to point to and even directly speaking of, but that's one of them. I want us to be in the habit of noticing evidences of the deity of Christ, that being one of them. Then the other thing that's the more obvious, is that he points out, that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Why is this a big deal? Why is, that, why is that something to take note of? And I think that's, he makes it pretty obvious in the text. He explains, he's like, man, he's trying to appeal to us even present day. He's like, I can see if you died for somebody you really love, right? That, that makes sense. How many of us wouldn't die for our own child, you know? Like I think about my three kids, I'd for sure step in front of a bus for one of them. You can maybe think of that for your, your own kids, I, uh, and so, but he, he takes that, he's like, that makes, that's the obvious, that makes sense. Then he, he takes it to the next stuff, he says, but what about for your, for your neighbor? Let's bring it practical to your own life. You, do you know your next door neighbor? Do you know the person in the house next to you? Would you die for him? I don't know, I like Al, but I, I, don't, I don't know if I'd die, well, I don't know, maybe if I'm honest with myself, I don't know, what, Linda, I don't know, uh, that's, uh, that's uh, I, I don't know, uh, that's our other neighbor's name, and I, I, if, but then he, then he takes it to the extreme, and he says, but what about dying for an enemy? Who's willing to do that? Who's willing to die for somebody that's opposed against you? I was thinking of present day, what's an example of, of enemies in our, in our culture and day and age? I think a lot of people would, uh, comes to mind is the, the, the letters ISIS, right? You, you think of that, guys that are chanting death to America, death to, with, the, uh, with blood on their hands. Think of that. Think of that picture. That's what he's making of, of us. He's making that, that picture. He's saying, when you, if when you were enemies, if when you were enemies, I was willing to die for you, man, how much better is it for, for doing life with you when, I'm, when you're a child, when you, you're now justified, you're no longer objects of my wrath. He's like, that's the kind of intense, crazy love that our God has for us. Do we really let that sink in? Do we, do, do, does that penetrate to our core? Is, is, is that something that we, that we think about? The, the hard work has already been done. Like this, if God rescues us when enemies, how much more will he hold on to us when we are his kids? The text it points to, it says, shall be saved by his life. In other, in other words, his life, if we're clinging to that for sanctification, for ultimate glorification, he says, you can, if you can trust, if you can look back and see what he's done as a sacrifice for us when we're enemies, how much more can you trust in him for the, having your best interest in mind for your life now that you're an adopted child? All of these things pointing to our position as part of the family very last thing we'll close with this verse 11 
There's much to celebrate, is what I titled that. You can read it for yourself. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It's definitely a triumphant tone in this passage, finally past the the hill. You remember the first couple sections of Romans, some pretty heavy stuff, but here now he's saying, listen, we've got a lot worthy to rejoice in. There's a lot to celebrate now because of what Christ has has done for us. And I I love it. I I, I like this picture. When I was younger, I used to really enjoy those um, by number, like the puzzles where you draw the lines. What are those called? Connect the dots. Thank you. It wasn't coming to me. Connect the dots things. Uh, Thanks for helping me connect the dots. the dad joke, sorry. Uh, so so the, the connect the dots pictures, what was fun about them, when you first look at it, it's like all these random specks on there, and you're like, I don't even see the picture. Like, it looks kind of confusing. You start to do it a little bit, and you're like, oh, I think that might be an ear. Or, you know what I mean? You start to piece it together. As you get further along, you're like, oh, this is starting to, to look kind of cool. Like, I, I like that. And because you've, you have the whole book and you've seen all of the other ones done, you start to trust it. You're not freaking out because you're like, I trust the maker of the book that it's going to be, the end result is going to be an awesome picture. I was flipping through online and I, and I found this one that kind of looked like myself. The, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the, I know, I know, I didn't make that. So, but, but I was thinking about this, that it's not about finally getting to f- seeing the finished product that you're like, oh, it, it's more about trusting the artist, trusting the one that designed the whole thing, the one that, that pieced it together. It's having patience while the dots are still being connected, Right? Isn't that what he's picturing here? He's like, trust me, it's going to come, but you got to have hope because you know the artist. You know how it's going to turn out. You can take that off. That's a little bit harsh. Uh, but, but, but that picture, and isn't that what he's saying here? He says, listen, being part of the family, there's some good things to come. A lot of them is present day. You're going to experience his peace. You're going to experience all these things, but some of them, it's in the future, and you're going to actually have to trust me. But because of who I am, because of who I'm in, what does it say? We also, we rejoice in God. If you're in the NIV, I think it uses the word boasting. Boasting, you usually associate that with something negative. Question for us is, how, when was the last time you really boasted or bragged on the Lord? I'd love us to do this with this last song as we think about some of the things that God has done for us as being part of the family. Let me pray. God, I thank you for these expectations to clarify. There's some really good stuff, and there's some immediate changes that we'll see. There's some patience that we can draw from. There's some, there's some peace that's in our account. I thank you for some of the present things, but we also thank you for what's to come. God, help us to endure, to remain under in the meantime recognizing that you figured out a way as the mass master orchestrator how to take even the crummy things of this life living behind enemy lines figured out how to use those to shape us more into your likeness thank you that you're the one behind the scenes that has a such an extreme love that was evidence 
and the fact that you died for us while we were enemies. God, we thank you for that. Thank you that the end goal is our transformation into your likeness. I pray over the trials that we're in now that we'd stop asking the question, why? We just saw it here, why? Ask the question, what? What are you wanting to do in me, God? How is this going to shape me? How is this going to grow my dependence, my trust in you? I pray too, God, just as we close here, for any person that hasn't accepted your peace treaty through Jesus Christ. It's never taken the, the moment to bend a knee, to acknowledge their sinful state, their need for a Savior. Pray that no one would leave even here this morning without embracing the amazing work that you've done on our behalf. We praise you for that. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.